Thank you so much. And I uh, just want to thank President Graham and our chairman of our board, Sean Doctor, our board of regents, and all of you. And how many are grateful for Pastor Josh and all he does here at North Central? What a blessing. We also were blessed to have uh, Ellington Porter come and share at our conference and Pastor Dr. Uh, Livengood. And so we've been blessed. And I want to just jump in right away to you. And, uh, you know, when you come to a college, a university, you come and you immediately begin to change. You begin to grow. You begin to grow in your relational IQ. You begin to stretch and reach to new people, get to know people, people you would have never met in any other environment other than a college. You begin to get out on your own. How many are grateful you're out from under the thumb of your parents? Come on. Come on, you're more happy about that than you act. You begin to grow in your, your intellectual profession, whatever it is God's called you to do, and you begin to grow in your theology. One of the problems that exists, though, in Christendom right now is that we are growing in our theology, but our reality is not matching what we know God to be. We grow in our understanding of the possibilities of God, the goodness of God, the greatness and grandness of God. But we have this propensity then to live in a reality that is beneath what we know God to be. Faith becomes about a moment more than a movement in our life. In other words, you wait for that next worship service that's going to change your life. And we live from moment to moment instead of having God live in a movement in our life. You know, we say terrible theology like, man, the Holy Spirit showed up today. And you say, why is that terrible theology? As if God is on, as if the Holy Spirit's on vacation. We should more say, I know what we mean by that. Man, it was awesome. But what we should say is we stepped into what the Holy Spirit was calling us to do. And so we have this gap that exists between what we believe and what we know God to be and the reality of where we live. And so way too often in the Christian world, we lower our theology to match our reality instead of raising our reality to match our theology. And we wonder why the American church is anemic, is weak, lives for the moment instead of the movement of God in our life. We start becoming consumed in the angst between what we know God to be and where we live. We start living in the angst of that and we start creating a God in our image, a God who meets our needs, and we get our eyes off of who God is and start focusing on who we are instead of him. And our faith becomes fragile. Something goes wrong. Some news comes that's unexpected and suddenly everything we know begins to crumble. We begin to question, why would God allow this to happen? And our theology begins to crumble. Faith becomes about ourselves and we get off track way too easy. How many of you can identify that that has happened in your life at some point? It's happened in mine. Paul, the Apostle Paul, we know his story well. He was a man who lived a very disciplined theology and walked in that theology, lived in that reality of that until he has an encounter with Jesus. And suddenly a whole new theology begins to grow of who God is, what possibilities God can do. And Paul had a decision to make. Do I rise to the level of my theology or do I bring God down to mine? And thank God the Apostle Paul did. One of the beauties of life is that we get to discover our journey. God leaves us the ability to create the path for our life in accordance to following his will. 
But I'm learning this as I get older. It's not the memories or the moments you miss that you know you miss that affect your life. It's often the moments and the movements you never knew you could have done because of where you were when God wanted you to do something else. Some of you are in the season right now where you're about to discover what God can do in your life. Some of you are going to miss in the next season, if we're not careful, an opportunity God has for you just because you're not paying attention. And it's those moments in my life that I wonder, what is it that God could have done? How could God could have used me in different ways that I didn't know? I think the Apostle Paul understands something that many times we forget. The way you live your faith does not just affect you. There are ripple effects of what you do that goes beyond just yourself. In fact, one of the selfish, most selfish things you can do is think faith is just about you. It's the height of selfishness. Is to say, well, my beliefs and the lack of beliefs. And by the way, you probably sit in the same area each week at chapel with the same people who probably have the same values. If they love Jesus, you're with them. If you don't, you don't. And the reason why is because we become so accustomed to our faith that faith becomes about what we do instead of who we are. And we miss the moments. Jesus would make statements like this, Luke 18, When Jesus heard this, he said to them, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Mark 1, 17, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. The Apostle Paul understood those words because the Apostle Paul makes a further statement on this. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, follow my example, what? As I follow the example of Christ. What Paul understood was this, that his reality had to live up to the theology God wanted him to live because the way he lived meant others were watching and he had the potential to influence them in a positive way or in a negative way. I want to look at one example today. I think it's interesting. If not, good news is uh, chapel's over in just a little while. I want to look at one example of how Paul living in his constant understanding of who God was in his life had a ripple effect beyond an initial encounter with him. And I want to talk about progression, the progression of this story. And it starts with time. Can I just tell you something? We like to microwave relationships. That just doesn't work in the kingdom. The way you make the biggest impact in your life is by the time you give. Whatever you give your time to is where your heart will follow. It's what you do with your time that determines often the future results of your life. The Apostle Paul took three missionary journeys. And on one of his missionary journeys, he arrives in a city called Corinth. It says this in Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see him, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. The emperor of Rome kicks out all the Jewish people because of this new faith that was developing called Christianity. He was afraid it would create more conflict, so he sends all the Jewish people out. So Aquila and Priscilla pretend the drum set is Rome, leave from Rome, and they arrive in a city of Corinth. Pretend Corinth is over here. When they arrive, a 
encounter based on profession leads to a life revolutionary change. Paul is a tent maker. Paul, it says, stayed and lived with them because they were tent makers. In other words, they met along the journey because of what they did, and then he moved into their house. Paul would spend a year and a half with them. And while the custom was for the person who was housing you to feed you, I believe that they fed Paul in the natural. Paul was feeding them in the supernatural, in his spirit. I wonder what kind of conversations occurred around that table with the Apostle Paul. I wonder if he talked about his transformation along the road, the killing of Stephen, the moments he had that when he gave his life to Christ, the disciples rejected him initially except for one friend who said, I'll take him under my wing. I wonder if he talked about what it was like to live in integrity in a culture that wasn't an integrity-filled culture. At the table in Corinth, Paul begins to pour himself out into the life of a couple Because it was the right thing to do. And Paul knew suffering. By the way, Paul knew what pain was. Paul knew what rejection was. And Paul never let the circumstances around him affect the faith within him. Can I just tell you, church hurt's going to happen. Work hurt outside of church will happen. Anywhere you go in life, hurt is going to happen. It should never rob you of the relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is bigger than anything that comes against you. And Paul seemed to know this. And Paul spends time with them at the table. And at the table, they begin to grow. They're being discipled. They're being taught. They're being cared for. Can I tell you the conversations you have when you hang out on this campus are bigger than the conversations you think you're having? They might be life-altering, life-changing. You might say something in a moment that brings a freedom to someone's life of something they've carried for decades. You have no idea what impact God is doing in the time you spend together. But I want to tell you the second progression. This is an interesting story in Scripture. I call it closing the gaps. It starts with time. They move from Rome to Corinth. It starts with time, Paul giving his time. And then the story begins to move beyond Paul. Watch this. In Acts chapter 18, verse 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, and he brings them along with him, Priscilla and Aquila. He says, I'm moving, and you're coming with me. So they go from Rome to Corinth, and now they go to Ephesus. And the story you would expect would follow Paul on as Paul goes on from there. But the Bible does something fascinating. The story and the camera stays focused on this couple. Paul moves on and they stay. Listen to verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew of the baptism of John. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos is a gifted speaker. The Bible says he's preaching accurately. But they realize there's a gap in his understanding. He doesn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many are grateful for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? 
He knows of the baptism of John. He doesn't know. And so Aquila and Priscilla, who once meet Paul, Paul spends time with him. The camera moves on. Now Aquila and Priscilla are starting to close the gaps of someone else's faith. The gaps that got filled in in Corinth are now them filling in the gaps in the life of Apollos. They're closing the gaps. That's called discipleship. The once one who was discipled, who grew in their knowledge, now their theology grew, now their reality is, we know something this guy needs to know because this guy needs to preach this wherever he goes. And God begins to grow them into the teachers of the word. I don't want you to talk to you about the third progression. I call it co-workers. It's because it's in the Bible. It says the words. Maybe you don't have joy here today. And can I just tell you, uh, I've learned this along the way. Many of you have been in faith. I've learned that you haven't bailed on church, but maybe there's not joy. And the reason there's not joy oftentimes in life is not because of what's come into you. You're going to hear all sorts of teachings, read all sorts of books. You're going to grow in wisdom and understanding. But what I'm concerned in the kingdom is, is we're becoming more consumer instead of living it out. In fact, the reason we're losing joy in the church is not because we're not getting good content. It's because we're not giving anything out. We've become stagnant and faith becomes about what we learn, what we debate, who we argue with, the battling of theologies versus the living it out every day. I want you to watch. There's a, there's a joy you get from receiving, but there's a whole different kind of joy you get from giving. It's a whole different way to live. I want you to see this third progression. Co-workers, Romans chapter 16. Notice the book is written to the people in Rome. This means the author, Paul, is sending this story from Corinth, uh, from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus, and guess where they're back at? They're back home in Rome. And listen to what it says. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. I want you to notice this. This couple has grown so much from Corinth through Ephesus that they are now back in Rome and the reputation is they almost gave their life to save the life of Paul. And they moved beyond the Jewish world to the Gentile world. God has expanded their impact, their ministry, their joy, and their sharing. And then he says this in verse 5. Greet also the church that meets at their house. They've gone from tent makers to co-workers in the kingdom of God. And I want you to know, that's the purpose of a university. When you come here, you sit at the table of time. Your professors give you time. People give you time. Your friends do. You're supposed to grow to a level of understanding in your faith where you then can be the person who gives time at the table. And then you're supposed to go back home or wherever God assigns you to be co-equal laborers with the professors who once taught you who now consider you co-laborers in the kingdom, wherever you are. I want you to understand something. When you live this way, and whoever's playing the keys can come on up. I one time was preaching and I said, whoever wants to play, come on up. And like a random stranger in our church stood up I've never met before and started coming forward. I was like, no, not you. Somebody from our church. He goes, okay. So I got to be careful with that. I want you to understand something. It's the people who serve who get to see the miracles of God. 
I want you to notice in John chapter 2, Jesus tells the servants, we know the story of God turning water to wine. He sends the servants down. They, uh, they go fill up the jars. They drag the jars back up uh, to the party. The Bible says that when the, they brought him to the middle and the people started to partake, Jesus had turned water to wine. The house, the master of the house gets all the credit. But I want you to notice this verse and you can begin to play. How many know preachers always sound better at the end when there's music? John chapter 2, it says this, Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tested the water and they, that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Watch these words. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Do you know why faith is alive in some people? It's because they serve. They live on mission. Their reality matches their theology. And what begins to happen is they see the miracles of God that occur each and every day. It's the nine-year-old kid at our church who was fostered at our church for six months. He sits down with me in the hallway of our busy church. And he looks at me and says, my mom and dad got their license back. I'm coming back to their house and they're not believers. But in six months in this church, I learned what real love looks like. And pastor, I'm going to win my family to Jesus Christ because Jesus is the real deal. And do you know why that happens? It happens because somebody lived their reality matching their theology. So would you stand with me this morning? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be honest this moment. If you want to come forward, whatever, you're, whatever you feel comfortable want to do. But without a song sung, I'm going to ask us to do something. I'm going to ask us to repent for any area that our reality is not living up to what we know God to be. And then I'm going to ask God to overwhelmingly use us in moments like Corinth so that somebody down the road gets to be a part of an experience in Rome that we may never see, but that God wants to do. Are you with me, students? So let's lift our hands. Lord, first of all, we repent to you. God, any area of our life that we need a sense of change, God, where we minimize the possibilities of you for the momentary view of our own world. God, we say we're sorry. Please forgive us, God. Raise our reality to match the theology that we're learning and that we know. God, let us walk in your anointing and your power wherever we go at any moment. Lord, let us never settle for something less than the possibilities of you. So Lord, we repent. And now we ask, and students begin to cry out to God. We ask for your move of your spirit upon our lives afresh and anew. God, give us the ability to spend time to close the gaps, to walk as co-laborers in your kingdom. God, wherever you've called us to be, anoint us, whatever our future is, call us to something greater than we know. We want you to have your way. Come on, tell them, have your way, Jesus. Have your way. So, Lord, everything we do, we give you the glory. We ask that you'd move us in progression to the things you've called us to do and be. In your wonderful, precious name we pray. Amen.